that I. All right. Welcome back to 1067 The Fan. Ben Standing and Bridger Oli here on 1067 The Fan. We're with you until nine o'clock. Uh, in a few moments, we should have Keith Law from The Athletic to talk Major League Baseball prospects. Um, we'll, we'll we'll get to that here in just a second. Britt, now this is your wheelhouse. We have not had, uh, we've been dominated by football guests so far. And when I said, Britt, would you like a baseball guest? You just said, I'm going to swing for the fences. And look what you got. I know. I got Keith, our friend Keith Law, who let's bring Keith in. I think he's on right now on our best on our uh, best BetQL guest hotline. He's the best one. So we're going to call him the best BetQL guest hotline. Keith, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for uh, taking a little time. I was telling Ben off air. So you uh, kind of got thwarted tonight. You were going to go see a prospect, right? A top guy? I was. I was going to go see two guys, actually, including the son of Andrew Jones. If you want to feel old, Andrew wow. Jones now has a son who is old enough to be drafted. Um, and there was light rain all day in Atlanta, but I flew down here. I said, it's light rain, right? We play baseball in light rain. We're, we're adults. Sure. Um, and, and no, they do not, as it turns out. And both games I was hoping to see today were canceled due to light rain, um, to which I say, toughen up. Yeah, exactly. So... Keith, you know, I think everyone is pretty familiar with your work, but um, for those who aren't, Keith does a fantastic job. He covers prospects um, and general MLB as well for The Athletic. Um, Keith, so much of your job is just watching players, and we talked about the NFL last hour ad nauseum, and what makes baseball so tough, Ben was saying, is, you know, how do you compare some guy in a, a small town in Texas playing in high school versus a college player, right? I mean, it, it, so much goes into the evaluation of these players, and ultimately, it's one big crapshoot. It is the most difficult part of, I think, a scout's job or scouting director's job is trying to compare players who, it's high school players versus college players, and they're junior or two-year college players who are also included in that. So you're trying to compare them to each other, but you may see them against widely disparate levels of competition, right? High school baseball in California is not the same as high school baseball, say, where I live in Delaware or the greater Philadelphia area. And so I have been doing this for close to 20 years now. And I would still tell you the absolute hardest thing to evaluate is a high school player's hit tool, because as much as we can say we like his swing, we like his mechanics at the plate, we think he's got a good idea of the strike zone, He's probably facing a lot of kids throwing 72 miles an hour. And guess what? They don't throw 72 miles an hour in pro ball. And you really don't know how good the hit tool is until they get into pro ball. And then add on top of that what you were just talking about, high school versus college players with their own disparate levels of competition. It, it is extremely difficult when we're talking about draft players in particular. And I love it because it's an endless challenge, but you just have to accept a certain level of frustration. You will always find new ways to be wrong when you're looking at players in the draft. Keith, I, like a lot of people, had to you know find ways to amuse myself over the last two years when we were sort of stuck inside, and one of the movies I went back to over and over again was Moneyball. And mm, I, My condolences. Oh, not a fan of the movie? <laughs> no. no. Oh, my God. I, I, I think I'm, uh, unfortunately, probably a bit well-known um, for just how much I despise that movie. Oh, all right. Well, I'll have to get the backstory on that later. But the the general concept of you know evaluating players in in a different way obviously has become you know if I guess on some level you know a standard in in baseball has that changed 
what you're doing or what or what the scouting community does when it comes to evaluating the prospects in ways that maybe would have been harder to quantify 20 years ago or or 30 years ago or is that not is that too far down because the the, the comparisons of like you mentioned high school baseball in California versus say Delaware is just too different for that type of uh, math to work. Well, I since I got rained out today, I spent the day on the phone talking to scouts who are going out to see players for the draft this year. And in one of those conversations in particular, actually two of those conversations in particular, there was a conversation, part of the conversation turned on particular players' fastball characteristics. So we were not just talking about velocity, which of course has been around forever. We were not just talking in more general terms about fastball life or fastball movement. But now we can talk about things like spin rate or spin axis. We can talk about ride on a fastball in a quantitative way. That's not 20 years uh, difference. That's five years. That's only been within the last five years or so that has that has become part of the vernacular of discussing players, discussing prospects in general, whether we're talking about prospects for the draft or we're talking about prospects in professional baseball that even longtime scouts who did not come up through, say, an analytical system have become much more comfortable discussing players uh, with those, using essentially those terms to um, to better quantify what makes a player good or, or perhaps not good. Also, it's uh, it cuts very much cuts both ways that you can say, oh, well, this guy throws 99, but the fastball doesn't have great characteristics on it. And that can be an explanation, for example, of, hey, maybe this is why it's a particular player gets hit more often. Keith, you wrote last week about the Nat system, and you've been really good um, and frank. I think you ranked them at or near the bottom in terms of minor league um, systems last year. Um, as you noted, they're on their way back up. They obviously had the big fire sale, um, kind of infused some new prospects. Um, how do you assess where they're at right now? Because Nats fans kind of want to know, is this rebuild going to be quick? Are they going to be good again soon? Um, and that hinges on this this crop of players. I agree. And, you know, I think unfortunately the answer is no, it's not going to be quick. I did have them as the worst farm system in baseball going into 2021. They are no longer the worst farm system in baseball. I think that they had a good draft. I think they had some progress of guys who were already in the system last year. Uh, I do think they are headed in the right direction. I, I trust a lot of what they're doing on the player development side. They did have some pretty rotten luck in terms of injuries last year, and that certainly prevented them from maybe making a bigger jump in my rankings, probably in, in, in even uh, the way that other teams say perceive their players. But I do believe that they are at least headed in the right direction. I just think it's going to take time. I would also counsel too. people said, well, how did the nationals trade Max Scherzer and Trey Turner and not end up with a much better farm system? Two of the players that they acquired in that deal Kiever Ruiz and Josiah Gray no longer qualifies prospects. They have too much time in the big leagues. So they don't show up in my rankings, but my rankings aren't what matter, right? They, if these players are in the big leagues. They're expected to be contributors. That's what's important. Uh, Keith, um, so, some more condolences you can offer me. I'm an Orioles fan, and there has <laughs> not, have not been much to cheer for, to say the least, in the last few years. The one thing you can sort of hope to is that the prospects deliver, and obviously they have the number one guy in Adley Rutschman. But beyond that, there is there are some names. You think you have them as the number 10 farm system overall in your rankings, but it feels like it's maybe a bit top-heavy. Can you give me some hope and other Orioles fans hope that beyond Rutschman that there is a reason to think that this thing can turn around at some point in my lifetime? 
Well, they're not going to be able to turn it around, I think, just with the product players who are currently in the farm system. That, I would say, is probably the bad news here. The good news is that there is some help, at least, on the way, that this system is improving, at least, and that there's reason to believe that they will at least be maybe competitive, even if they're not necessarily contending in the very near future. There is Adley Rutschman. There is Grayson Rodriguez, right-handed starter, the best pitching prospect in their system. There's D.L. Hall, if he's healthy, left-handed pitching prospect, I actually think has a higher upside than Rodriguez, but he hasn't been healthy. He missed a lot of time last year due to an elbow injury that did not require surgery. They had Joey Ortiz, a shortstop prospect, who changed his swing and his body last year and became, I thought, a much, much better prospect, going from a guy who's almost an afterthought to somebody who's got a chance to be an above-average everyday shortstop in the big leagues. And let's face it, he's not blocked by anybody in Baltimore right now. So there's, there's help on the way, for sure. They've got outfielders coming. They've got some infield help, some, you know, like mentioned, some shortstop help coming. They've got the best prospect in baseball, Natalie Rutschman. What they really do not have is much starting pitching coming. And at some point, they're going to have to invest going outside the system, either spending in free agency or trading some of this potential surplus, especially of outfielders within their farm system, to try to go outside and acquire some starting pitching help. Keith, one last thing, and then we'll let you go. Does this baseball season start on time? We talked earlier about the three-hour meeting that really equated to tiny moves forward, right? I mean, where are you on the optimism scale, if if you're at all even optimistic about this season? Oh, come on, Britt. You've known me for a while now. Do I strike <laughs> you as an optimist? I know. That's why I was like, oh, Keith's going to love this one. No. I Do I think the season starts on time? Probably not, because I am very cynical about the owners. I think the owners would shoot themselves in the foot. Um, the owners will, I believe that they would act even against their own self-interest. And unfortunately, I just you know, think I, I have very little faith in them to do the smart thing for themselves, um, which is disappointing because I think that the owners could simply take what the players have most recently offered and probably call it a win, probably say that they did well enough um, to walk away. And unfortunately, I just don't think that they even, uh, they, I don't think that the owners truly understand how good they have it, that the most recent offer from the players would still be a pretty strong net positive for the owners if they just accepted it. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm with you, Keith. Uh, we really appreciate the time, the expertise. As usual, Ben Ben's smiling. I think he feels a little bit better about maybe his future as an Orioles fan. We'll, we'll let him down off air. I'm mostly questioning my taste <laughs> in movies right now, to be honest. I'm going to definitely let you have it off air. <laughs> Thanks so much, Keith. Enjoy the rest of your night. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Keith Law of The Athletic, always insightful. Always got some really interesting things. It's just a cool job, I think, Ben, but also just a, like he said, a frustrating, demanding part of the job to watch all these guys and to fly down somewhere and nobody plays, right? Uh, then you have no work, nothing to show for it. And, you know, you're just on the phone all day, which you could have done from home. Uh, it's a very unique beat to cover, I think, within baseball. Well, I mean, Anytime you're dealing with the prospects, whether you're Keith Law or, or Mel Kuyper or anybody, like you're putting yourself out there too. You're saying, I think this player is worthy of being whatever the first pick, second pick, 10th pick, or the opposite. And especially what he's doing, de dealing with high school kids at these crazy levels, that that's just wild that you have to uh, evaluate it at that level. Yeah, and he did have some good news for Nats fans as well. You know, some of the top guys they got from the Dodgers no longer included on his list. Um, they are definitely an up-and-coming system. So, you know, we'll see. We'll see what happens there.
But you know what else we'll we'll see, Ben? We'll see you on the other side of this break because we're going to have to take a few minutes. I'm going to explain to Ben why Moneyball um, is pretty much reve- not not revealed at all. reviled. Is that the right word? Reviled. Reviled. Word. Yeah. Revered is light. Um, reviled in baseball. So I'm going to educate him. Uh, we're going to take a few minutes. Then we're going to come back, and he's going to tell everyone what he's learned. Richard Rowley, Ben Standing, <laughs> 106.7 The Fan. times i just told him the real truth that nobody in baseball actually likes moneyball he was shocked i think i i struggle with a lot of certain football movies like i as a guy who does mock drafts i couldn't watch the kevin costner movie draft day because from what i gathered the preposterous trades that he's going to come up with would break (laughs) my brain so i kind of get it if you're a, a scout like a real one like keith law is that moneyball might not be your thing as a movie I thoroughly enjoyed it. I hadn't read the book. I might have was aware of it, but Brad Pitt, Jonah Hill, the scene with Brad Pitt and his daughter, fan, fan, fantastic stuff. Look, movies are great. They're never totally accurate. They're never really even sort of accurate, but they're, you know, they're entertaining anyway. It's like the Sex of the City episode where they go to a baseball game and Carrie flashes her press pass and all four of them are in the locker room. Like, that would never happen. Is that a thing? Yeah. Yeah, that actually happened, yeah, in the show. That's not a thing that happens. No. I don't flash my press pass, and me and three of my friends are standing in the locker room. No. Um, yeah, my, my favorite bit is when my friends to this day will say, hey, can you get me in the locker room? I'm like, what? 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 No, what? This is like a real place of business? Like, you have, like yeah. there's like rules and stuff? Like, no, it's not, it's not a thing. Whenever people say that, I'm like, can I come sit in your office cubicle with you? It's weird, right? It'd be weird if you brought your friends to your office cubicle. Right, and not just out of the way. Everybody has to know we're there, and we're way, we're, we're the, we're the, green piece of spinach in your in your teeth there and yeah and then, and then if you if we can do that at your place i'll see what we can do um brit before we get back to uh talking a little bit more about baseball or maybe the what the washington commanders could do at 11 we've got uh, another call to here on the line uh, i believe chris here is with us on the mgm national harbor listener line chris i don't even know what you're going to discuss but let's hear it. what you got for ben and brit well, you may remember me. Hi, Brett. Hi, Ben. Ben, I didn't know you were an Orioles fan. I usually talk to Brett a lot. How how far back do you go with those? Not uh, in their natty bows. Yeah, I mean, to be, if I if I'm really going to age myself, I was there when uh, at least as a little kid when Willie Stargell uh, took him down. Seventy nine. Got it. Yeah. So seventy nine. Got it. Got it. Got it. Very good. So um. Anyway, then. Okay, and Brett, you said um. Would you say Italians speak softly? Something no, like no, it. we're scream talkers. Okay, because I was going to bring up a couple of names um, and um, to kind of irk you both at the, to start with, but I, that'd be pleasant. So, in other words, if I said Jeffrey Mayer to you um, and Tony Tarasco to Ben, how would you feel about those two names? Oh, every once in a blue moon when Jeffrey Mayer comes up, I get the heebie-jeebies. I remember, like, you know the <laughs> important days in your life when people say, do you remember where you were on, you know, I... That's the one nightmare. I would be because uh, that's all I had um, until the Nats came, and I like National, but I still always have East Thirty Third Street. I was there many, 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 many times. Yeah, um, and go back a little further than you, and then for Brett, I would say, um, how about the name Bucky Dent? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Let's uh, let's streamline this call, though, guys. You got a we got a question or a point? Oh, okay, yeah. As much as I enjoy this um, reminiscing, it feels like we're at a bar. and Strumsky would do better, but anyway, and I hope in the prospects, I like the way they call or the man you had there, um, Keith Law, uh, Mr. Law, and and um, but Victor Robles. Do we anticipate any bounce? That would go a long way, and 
been helping. You know, I thought that was all awful season for him, and um, I'm looking forward to seeing what he does. But I guess there's no, you know, nobody's doing anything to see what kind of what shape or what's he looking like. And I guess that would be about it for tonight. And oh, you said something about the uh, uh, what's that the the arbitration money. It goes into a pool. I'm not quite certain I understand. I thought it was just a, a negotiation between the team and the player. And now I hang up and listen. Thank you for the call. Yeah, as a Victor Robles, he's obviously not going to qualify as a prospect. So Keith didn't mention him. He's got way too much big league time. Uh, but he is a guy who needs a bounce back. I don't even know if we call it a bounce back because he's really yet to put together, Ben, like a consistent season for the Nats. Um, I think the problem last year was he kind of thought he could be a Juan Soto home run hitter, packed on a ton of weight, got really slow um, in the outfield, and you saw it. He wasn't um, nearly as good defensively, and he's just not built to be a home run hitter. You know, Nobody is just going to gain some weight in the offseason and be Juan Soto. I mean, it, it doesn't work like that. Uh, if it does, you'd see guys showing up at camps everywhere, 20, 30 pounds heavier, um, trying to mimic what he does. Um but as for his arbitration, he 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 delved a little into arbitration, I believe, as well. There, Ben. I heard the word. Yeah, that was all I heard. I didn't hear the exact question uh, regarding that. But I I do think Victor Robles is an important piece of this Nats team. Um, you know, the guys that Mike Rizzo traded for though are really going to determine whether this team is competitive soon or not. Um, because they went kind of all in um, on their tradable chips. They made a ton of moves. Ton of trades. Obviously, Max Scherzer and Trey Turner were the biggies. Um, but you know, they they traded pretty much everything not nailed down in an attempt to restock a farm system that was the worst in baseball um by Keith Law standards, as he said. They are on the up and up. Um, but a lot of it's just going to depend on health and development. And I, for one, am curious to see because you know, the Nationals, for all of their success at the major league level, haven't really had a track record of developing players. Steven Strasburg isn't a guy you develop, you know, and we've talked about this before, Ben, like when you're picking, you know, the first guy in the draft, you're not, you're not developing a Bryce Harper. You're not developing a Steven Strasburg, even like an Anthony Rendon. You talk about a college polished guy that's taken first rounder. He's a first round. He's a second rounder. You know, he, he's, he's big league ready. He's hard to mess up as they say. Uh, but organizations all the time have seventh rounders, eighth rounders, uh, guys that make the big leagues and the Nats really haven't had that pocket so I'm curious to see what some of the changes they've made in player development in that front office, um, if that's going to change, because they need it to. To, to be a sustainably good organization, uh, they need to have a better feeder program. I take your word for that in terms of these <laughs> uh, th- th- these prospects. Uh, look, I have other Nats questions for you. Uh, I was literally thinking of a couple, but we've got to take a break. Uh, when we come back, I'll ask Britt more about the Nats. Maybe she'll ask me about... Uh, the Commanders, or maybe my cat, who knows. Uh, ben Standing Bricciaroli here on 106.7 The Fan. All right, welcome back to 106.7 The Fan. Overtime, Ben Standing Bricciaroli. We're here in the home stretch. With you till the top of the hour. It has been a blast here with Britt once again. Um, We've got a little bit more time here. So if you want to give us a call, 800-636-1067. Uh, 
six, seven, you want to talk about what the commanders should do at 11. You want to talk about where things stand with this major league baseball labor strife. You wanted to say whether Moneyball is a really good movie or you were a Debbie Downer about it, whatever you got, hit us up 800-636-1067. The fan, um, Britt and I were talking before about, uh, one or she's got a brand new story up on the athletic. Uh, I'll let her get into the details if you want, but it's a really good story. You should absolutely check it out. But the, 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 the crux of it is uh, a baseball pitcher who had a, an interesting journey just to even be in, in the position to play gets nailed in the head with a, 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 a batted ball and got to go through very bad. It has to deal with a lot um, on the medical side, nasty scar. And there's way to it more than I'm just discussing here. And Britt can get into it. She wants but we were talking before about the Winter Olympics and just the events and and you know the the the, the X Games vibe and because these people are also good at what they do, we kind of take for granted sometimes that the level of danger that you're dealing with. And I feel like on some level, having reading your story, that the pitcher facing a batted ball coming back at them at 100 and something miles an hour is an underrated risk that we don't consider because that is beyond scary. I, we we think of it from the hitter perspective, but that's we 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 see that happen. The pitcher feels far more defenseless. The ball's coming back even faster. The reaction time, you don't know what's coming. I, I, I just, I was reminded of your story combined with the Olympic stuff. That like, wow, that is more terrifying than I think I uh, uh, let on. Yeah, and the, the story is about a minor leaguer, the Rays organization, Tyler Zombro, and he had 16 plates and 32 screws put into his skull. He fractured his skull in seven different places. Um, He had a suffered a traumatic brain injury because 104 miles 16 an hour plates and 32 screws in your head. Yeah. I don't even understand how that's like, how that's possible just from the geography of like the spacing. It's unbelievable. Right. And like, so his fractures, your skull isn't, it'll never heal, but it's stable enough that he's going to wear a special helmet on the mound. And this guy is going to attempt He's in AAA, so he's on the cusp of. He's in big league spring training for the Rays the last Kev, two years. He's got Kevlar plate he in does. his helmet. That yes. is, yeah, it, that's exactly what it is. So he is on the cusp of finally getting to the big leagues after being undrafted, after being passed over um, in June. He gets hit with this line drive, and so many guys, their career would be over. So many guys would maybe not survive. I spoke to his neurosurgeon. Um, you know, just a really positive, inspiring story. It's one of those stories you read and you're like. All right, why am I complaining about anything going on in my life, right? 100%. Um, so I do recommend you check it out if you want. Just, you know, if you're just tired of the negativity, you want to read something that's that's positive, that's inspiring, uh, a true story, a guy who, if he does make it to the big leagues, it's like Hollywood movie type stuff, honestly. Um, just a really, really cool story. And honestly, Ben, when I was talking to his neurosurgeon, like, you can be hit 100 times with something traveling 104 miles an hour, a line drive, your skull, and probably 99 of those times, the outcome is not this good. I mean, this guy is walking, he's talking, he's throwing, he's lifting heavy weights. He's basically normal because of the exact spot hit that I guess he has brain damage, but it none of that part of the brain controls anything that's super important, which is just crazy. Oh, well, then that seems like I should be fine because I don't think most of what, what I got working on there is connected <laughs> to anything super important. Um, we do have a call here, though. Speaking of baseball, Leo in Texas here with us on the MGM National Harbor listener line. Leo, what you got for Ben and yes. Britt? Um, I was just wondering, I had a quick question. Uh, I'm a really fan of uh, this catcher, Tres Barrera. He's a uh, catcher yeah. for the Washington Nationals. 
And I was just wondering, see what what's going to be the deal with him. Is he going to be a starting catcher or a backup or maybe a trading or would you want to know something about that? Yeah, uh, first of all, a, a terrific guy, a guy that I think a lot of people um, are kind of rooting for. Um, in the Nats organization, he had uh, a little bit of a setback. It was one of those guys that caught, caught up in like this weird doping scandal with this really old Russian steroids that like nobody's using anymore, Ben. I don't know if you heard about this. It was like a really weird thing that happened last year, and all the players involved in it were like, I have no idea what's going on. Um, but he's been an up-and-down guy. I would expect for him uh, to continue to kind of be that up-down guy in the Nats system. Um, he's going to be in big league camp. He's going to be a guy uh, who's fighting to always kind of be that guy, but I don't see them having him as a starter. Uh, the Nats have a lot of work to do. They're one of the teams that kind of chose to wait until after the CBA is negotiated uh, to make any offseason moves. So they really haven't done anything um, to build their team. So there's a lot of holes. I, I think catcher uh, is probably going to be an area that they're going to look to add to. Uh, but mm-hmm. as far as Barrera, I think he's a – a real guy that I would root for. Um, he's a new dad. He had a new kid about a week ago. Um, new dad as well. Had some real inspiring obstacles to get through that path as well. So he's certainly a guy that if you're looking for people in Nats camp, good stories to root for. Uh, Trace Barrera would be definitely one of those guys. But um, I don't anticipate him being the starter for the Nats unless there's just a lot of injuries or something unforeseen. So... Thanks for the call, and um, really an, an, an interesting name to bring up, a guy who I think probably doesn't get um, enough attention for some of the things that he's overcome. Uh, kind of reminds me a little bit of Aaron Barrett, the pitcher with the Nats, who, of course, snapped his arm in half, um, is attempting a comeback, uh, well, has actually gotten all the way back, and is now just trying to stick in the big leagues. Another really great guy to root for that I think a lot of Nationals fans are familiar with, Aaron Barrett. Uh, Trace Barrera is another great story as well. Since we're we've been on a big Nats uh, run here, the last uh, two shows we've done. What's the biggest? It, it, let's let's imagine a world in which spring training is actually happening tomorrow. What's the biggest sort of story for the Nats? Not Juan Soto, but like the biggest like positional battle. Like what's the what's the question mark that exists the most? Do you think for this team going into uh, this year? There's a lot of question marks. Um, you know the rotation. They, they lose Scherzer. They're not sure if, if Strasburg can stay healthy. And Patrick Corbin has had uh, really coming off an abysmal year. Right. Uh, I mentioned catcher. That's not solidified either. Uh, you know, Ryan Zimmerman has retired. So uh, there's obviously a huge hole leadership-wise. Trey Turner and what they're going to do long-term with shortstop. Is Carter Keyboom going to finally be the answer? Um, you kind of unlock the the uh, can of worms here, Ben, because they're 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 a team in transition. Sure. They're not a hey, let's just add a shortstop and we're going to be good. Let's sign Carlos Correa. Like they're not in that position at all. Um, they've got so many guys, Victor Robles, as we talked about earlier with a caller, that are kind of are they going to make the jump? Or are they not going to make the jump? And if they're not going to make the jump, um, you know, it could be um, a few long years in DC. But you want to win because you want to keep Juan Soto, and Juan Soto wants to win. Um, so there's a lot of holes that they that they have. Let, let, let's see if I can ask a question that doesn't get me laughed out of the room here. Like we talked before about the Orioles haven't spent money on pitching. You mentioned, well, look, the Nationals have, and they won a World Series a couple of years ago because, in part, because they had that great staff. Winning the World Series, they easily could have lost it. So if they had lost it then what we would be having is Strasburg's been basically banged up more or less since Corbin has not been nearly as good 
since, but they're still committed. I don't know how much more money they're on the hook for these guys, but it's not, it's, 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 it's significant versus an everyday player. Obviously guys could get hurt. Anthony Rendon wasn't exactly great. He was on my fantasy baseball team and he didn't exactly crush it last year. Um, does giving pitchers along these longer term deals, it obviously has been great for Scherzer, but like, is there something to be said for uh, the, some of these pitchers? The, 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 the potential for them breaking down is still greater than the hitters and therefore investing to the degree they have in pitching maybe isn't ideal, even though I know that's hard to say because they did win the World Series. No, it's huge. And Scherzer was the guy who kind of defined it all because when they signed Scherzer in D.C., it was universally panned. People were like, he's old, he's going to break down, and he proved to be um, really a cheap sign. He was really underpaid over the course of that contract, which is crazy um, to think about. But, yes, this is the reason why – even position players, Ben, you're not seeing these like Albert Pujols deals anymore, these Miguel Cabrera deals, because baseball is getting so young and teams are so hesitant to hand out these like 10, 12 year deals to guys who aren't like Juan Soto's age because of what happens on the back half. You're stuck with this albatross of a deal and there's no way out of it. Baseball's contracts are guaranteed. Even if you get rid of them, you're going to eat the money. You're not going to find a team that's going right. to pick up that money. So um, I think that's part of the issue going on right now is the league is getting younger. Owners are not handing out those contracts anymore. And players are upset. If you're not going to get paid when you're young and you're not going to get paid when you're older for what you've done in the past, because that's what those contracts basically were, then when are you going to be paid? Right. Uh, It seems like they're really shrinking the earning potential. And that's part of what's going on right now uh, with the current lockout, which, by the way, they met today for over three hours. They're going to meet again tomorrow. There's really been kind of small incremental progress, but they've got a few days. They've got the February 28th for the baseball season to start on time. Your sport. I mean, my (laughs) crazy. The the sport I cover has a lot going on, particularly with the local team, but at least they play and like you know you know the nfl we can debate how they do certain things or certain choices they make but in terms of the actual product they play the games and there's something to be said for that uh for sure all right break well we've got basically one more segment to go here on overtime ben standing bridge Roley here on 106.7 the fan Welcome back. 106.7 The Fan. Bricciaroli here with Ben Standing. We are here for just a few more minutes, sadly. We've been talking all kinds of sports since 6 o'clock, though. We've had a blast. We talked about Ben's terrible taste in baseball movies. Um, Talked to Keith Law about Nat's prospects, about the baseball world in general. Michael Lee on the NBA. And now Ben is teasing me that he's got a little news he's going to share with everybody. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, th- yeah, this is uh, this is one of these news pieces that it, 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 people will forget that it even existed. Of, of, uh, they'll even forget it existed a little bit in a little bit uh, from now. But yesterday came word that NFL agents who represent 155 players coming from the agents coming from 13 agencies were organizing a potential boycott of the combine because the NFL organizers 
we're turning the combine into a bubble situation in which the prospects who are obviously, this is a huge moment for them to uh, work out in front of the, all these teams. They were going to, you know, do the standard bubble thing that we've seen now in other sports and limit them to their usual training routine going up until their biggest moments that they would have. These agents basically were like, Hey, based on where we are with COVID and everything like that, I don't think we need the bubble anymore. Well, anyway, while we've been on the show, came word that the NFL or whoever is the, the, the combine organizing committee has relented and it appears now that the bubble is burst and they will not be doing that. And that is at least significant from the perspective of the thought would be that the players would have gone to the combine to do some of the interviews, but not run the 40, not done some of the position workouts that are, that, that are there to be seen. Maybe do the medicals. That would be a, a not a waste of time, but it would be limiting for, for what teams would get also from the public's perspective, the NFL network is going to run the combine for hours and hours next week in Indy. I will be there uh, for, for all that. So good news on that front. Um, again, maybe perhaps much ado about nothing, but as of last night, there was at least some thought that perhaps uh, this is something that could go down. And apparently now you can enjoy your combine in peace. Well, that's nice. I mean, honestly, I think at some point we have to get over the bubbles and kind of, deal with life right a little bit um so that's interesting that they that they relented the combine will be pretty regular then compared to i guess other years been for you um i I think so i will see how it is for us in terms of the way it usually works is that the they bring out the prospects you know in front of a podium and there'll be you know anywhere 25 to you know maybe 100 or more reporters or others in front of there i I don't know if they're going to have us all in that sort of Space, but I was just at the Senior Bowl a couple of weeks ago, and for their media day, which was happening exactly as the name change was happening here, I was standing in front of Kenny Pickett, who we've talked about before, the University of Pittsburgh quarterback, and there were dozens of us in front of him. And I'm not, I'm pretty positive a lot of people were not wearing a mask and we were indoors. And I, I don't know, we just kind of, it, it is what it is at this point. I mean, uh, you know, like you said, I think at some point you just have to kind of, kind of move forward. I, it is interesting though that, like, I wonder if almost NFL was going off of the mentality that had been there for the last year. And then when they were given some pushback, they're like, oh, okay, well, as long as we're all cool with this, then we can be cool with this and kind of move forward. You mean future Washington commander, Kenny Pickett? Well, not with the 11th pick, according to my mock draft. But <laughs> No, not according to your mock draft, he, but he has been linked to them a lot. If they want an experienced guy who can come in and perhaps play right away, he is the best bet and he's arguably the best quarterback in this class according to at least right now according to a lot of the evaluators so it could be it could be but if you've tuned in at all we've been talking all night ben decided to not go with the quarterback in his mock draft up now uh, on the athletics some interesting um, ideas in there encourage you to check that one out Uh, just a different way of thinking about how they may tackle um, the elephant in the room which is of course the quarterback problem yeah, I, I would just say to people at the end of the day, unless they get an Aaron Rodgers or a Russell Wilson, which is the unlikely scenario of all the scenarios, almost nobody that they're going to get on the lower veteran front or these draft picks is automatically solving your problem. You're taking a swing at the problem. You're not automatically solving it, and that's the whole point. Is it best to take a big swing or take a swing when you're really not that confident in these in the, in the candidates you have, or are you better off taking a safer play, a really good talent, and trying to cobble together a a situation to get you by until you can figure out 
a better move. Yeah, this is something that I don't think you're going to get everyone to agree on. I mean, we had callers all night that were like, hey, Ben, what about this? What about that? Wide receivers, you know, different ways of looking at things. I think another caller was dead set on just taking the quarterback. And I think this is something that no matter what they do, people are not going to be happy, right? People are going to be like, oh, did they do enough? Because this is a pivotal year three for Ron Rivera, for the, the commanders. I mean, this is a make or break year. If you're going to turn things around in five years, then year three is the the turning point here. It is the halfway. He, it is the year that you have to stop saying we're building something and you have to kind of show people what has been built. I, I think what's going to be really fascinating is when this game of quarterback musical chairs ends and we see how all the 32 teams are positioned, not all of them are going to be in a good spot. And I know you could say that often, but like I said, have now said a few times, the gulf between the haves and the have-nots at that position, I think it feels like it's as large as I can recall. And if you don't have one right now in an era where Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes are not just really, really good quarterbacks, but there's like an extra something there, and then Joe Burrow makes it in the second year and so on, I, I think you're going to be feeling the, the the pinch. The one thing, though, that is interesting for Washington, in a in a conference in which Tom Brady is retired for now, in which I'll assume Aaron Rodgers stays, and obviously the Rams just won the Super Bowl, but like there's not a ton of depth at quarterback in this conference, and not a lot of young guys, if they actually can figure out a younger guy or just anybody, like a, a viable option there. It's not inconceivable Washington, like the same could be said for a lot of teams, with good injury luck, is one of the top six teams in the conference. But finding that quarterback is the, is the issue, and I can't promise anybody they're actually going to be able to do it. No, but you know what? I can promise you that we're going to continue to talk about it ad nauseum because it's that important. I mean, I mean, it's what? more important than the name. It's more important than, you know, Ron Rivera's contract. It's, it's really, it's a defining move for an organization that badly needs direction, right? Um, you, you have to do something here or you're basically just telling your fan base, hey, we got a new name and, you know, we got a new coach a couple years ago and, and we got a new culture, but... We're just rearranging deck chairs because we still don't have a quarterback in a league that demands that you have a quarterback to be good in a league that is built on offense and passing um, in a league where you cannot get by with a Taylor Heineke, no matter how badly you try. We saw how thin that margin of error was, and it's just not enough for you to survive in the National Football League. But is it more important than shaming the movie Moneyball? No, nothing is more important than telling Ben that everybody in baseball really doesn't like the money ball. The people inside the game uh, think that money ball was not really great for the game overall. And poor Ben was now called out by Keith Law earlier. Yeah, that's not, um, embar that's not embarrassing. No, and, and now shame. Listen, Ben, you've admitted you're an Orioles fan like 10 times. I think the, the, the bar of what embarrasses you <laughs> should be like pretty low. Um, I, mean, I covered them for 10 years. I never bring them up. And you just keep steering the conversation back to the old Orioles. We are in D.C. The Nationals, I can throw a stone and hit Nats Park from this radio station. I'm just explaining why my interest in baseball has waned. I think I say I'm an Orioles fan. I'm pretty good. Yeah. Well, you know what? Speaking of waned, um, our show is over. This has been a blast. It's always a blast coming on and talking with you. Uh, really appreciate all our guests. Michael Lee of the Washington Post. Keith Law of The Athletic. Um, ben. Do you have any final parting words for our, our listeners? I do not. This was fun, guys. I hope that we do it again soon. Sorry that Ben didn't have anything nicer to say. But Britt Giroli, Ben Standing, here on 106.7 The Fan. You guys have a great Monday night.